we became so focused on academics and academic assessment that we lost sight of the children that were sitting in front of us and looked at them as how do we get those scores up instead of how do we create great human beings. This is Brett Clark and you are listening to Voices from the Field, insights from educators who are positively impacting student learning in the classroom. In this episode, I sit down with Mary Tavigia, who is discussing social-emotional learning strategies for classroom teachers that they can implement in order to assist all students, especially those facing challenges both inside and outside of school. Mary has more than 35 years of experience with schools and districts in both Iowa and Illinois. During her nearly 20 years of teaching, she worked as both a special education teacher and a general education teacher. She also served as the president of the Education Association for one of her districts. She spent more than 15 years as an elementary principal where she led her school's implementation of inclusionary special education practices, including response to intervention, data-driven instruction, and social-emotional learning, or SEL for short. Mary's focus on SEL brought her national recognition for the successful implementation of SEL through her school community. Mary was appointed by the Governor of Illinois to the Executive Board of the Illinois Children's Mental Health Partnership, and she also co-chaired the School Policies and Standards Subcommittee for six years. She also served on the committee that wrote the Illinois Learning Standards for Social and Emotional Learning. So Mary, let's start with a very basic question on how do you define social-emotional learning? I'm gonna give you the definition that CASEL, the Collaborative for Academic Social and Emotional Learning, has written because that's really the standard definition that's used. Uh, and it says that social and emotional learning is the process through which children and adults acquire and effectively apply the knowledge, attitudes, and skills necessary to understand and manage emotions set and achieve positive goals, feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain positive relationships, and make responsible decisions. Excellent. And so it's been my uh, experience that over the last several years, it seems like educators are talking more about this now. Um, and it seems to have blossomed into a lot of discussions around education. Why do you think that's the case, and what do you think the benefit of that is for educators? Well, I think one of the reasons that it's really grown is that it was a fairly new field of study back in the 90s. Um, but more and more research has been done on it, and there's more and more proven results from schools that implement social-emotional learning. So, you know, it's sort of grow, it's growing itself. I think another aspect is that schools, we, we became so focused on academics and academic assessment that we lost sight of the children that were sitting in front of us and looked at them as how do we get those scores up instead of how do we create great human beings? And so when, when we had the opportunity to take a look at more about how children learn, we were finding a lot of it was social and emotionally based. And there's been a lot more brain science going on right now, a lot of neuroscience that's proving that all learning is intertwined, whether that's cognitive or social, it's, it's learning that all takes place in the same area of the brain. 
So I think that's part of it as well. And I think we're just ready. We're ready to help children see that we have more similarities and differences, but how to manage when we do have those differences. So you mentioned that uh, the fact that um, you know we were so focused on test scores and um, you know what a what a child received on a standardized test. Do you think that it also um, with as busy lives as as we all lead right now, um, parents and children, uh, that that also factored into this new renewed focus on the whole child and what the what the child needs both socially and emotionally. I'm sure that is that's played a part. You know, their kids have schedules just like we adults do, and sometimes we schedule children into things without giving them any kind of time to process or think through things or honestly even enjoy them, enjoy life. And so I think as as we are trying, we're looking toward mindfulness, trying to help kids take a moment to step back and think through things and and develop some of the skills that are necessary so that when they are in these busy schedules, they know how to manage the stress that comes with that. And they learn how to interact with the people that they're on the same athletic team with or participating in the school play or whatever it is. But there's a lot there that could be developed and, and make them just happier humans. You had referenced this in an earlier question, but uh, you talked about uh, the different research uh, that supports this work. Uh, would you be able to walk through some of those uh, research studies and, and reference some of those for uh, the audience that's listening and to give them maybe some uh, opportunity to be able and investigate a little bit further if they're interested in learning more about that research? Because a lot of research has been done uh, lately. It has. Um, Perhaps the seminal piece of research is a meta-analysis that was done by some uh, researchers who are from Castle as well as other places. Uh, Durlach and Weisberg were the lead researchers on that. And they looked at 213 studies of social-emotional learning, uh, looking at schools from all different places, rural, urban, suburban, and what had happened to those schools when they implemented some social-emotional learning programming with Fidelity. It covered 270,000 children. So, uh, and also from K through 12. So what they found it, as a result of that study is that the schools that implemented that, the students had an increase in their social-emotional skills, not an unexpected result. Uh, they found that children had an improved attitude about themselves and about others and about school in general. They had an increase in positive classroom behavior and they found an 11 percentile point gain in standardized achievement. That was the piece that everybody kind of put on the brakes and said, what about? So it was, it was that increase in academics that I think as educators, we all know we wanted and we all know we could get, but we didn't have proof. And now we had proof. And so that's, that's really been a big piece. Um, another piece was a longitudinal study by a group, Mark Greenberg and some of his colleagues, where they looked at 750 kindergartners and what kinds of skills they had. And they, they observed them, they had the teachers observe them, they had reports from parents, self-reporting from the students, and they found students in kindergarten who had those, so, those strong 
SEL skills where they knew how to be helpful to somebody without being bossy. They knew how to ask questions of someone to show that they're interested, how to show respect. They had all of those skills and they followed those students so that 20 years later when they were 25 years old, they found that the students who had those strong SEL schools as five-year-olds, they had greater success academically by completing college and socioeconomically by being gainfully employed by the age of 25. And those four kids who didn't score well as five-year-olds and had no interventions or supports along the way, had a deep, they, they had the kinds of things that we worry about for our kids. They had more contact with the law. They had less of an education. They had more substance abuse issues. And so I think that lets us know that this does make a difference. And we do need to do something for our students. We do have to provide this kind of social emotional learning to them throughout their grade school at home as well, but throughout grade school, middle school, and high school. I would assume with results like that that you've just shared that that was a wake-up call and probably another reason why there's been such a focus um, on this. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you can't argue with this kind of information. It's it's really it's good research and it's really there. There's been a national commission on social, emotional, and academic development that's been convened at the Aspen Institute, and they have just come out with a white paper, and they have cited this research along with a lot of other research that really supports this, and their research brings in a lot of the neuroscience that's been involved with learning and how all of this comes together to, to make a whole child, <laughs> we've talked about the whole child, but that whole learning child where they're learning their academic, all those cognitive skills are there, but so are the social emotional skills. So I would assume if this was something that was easy, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't have to be worried about it or be talking a lot about it because everyone would just be doing it. But uh, it sounds like this is a process and there's really no finish line for a school that's gonna be involved in this. Can you tell me more about that and, and what, uh, what is involved? It's, it's, it's deep uh, work that, that takes a lot of time and effort, uh, I would assume. It is. And you know, there are things that individual teachers can do in their classroom, which are great. But if we really want to make systemic change, we have to look at it as a systemic issue. And it has to be school-wide, district-wide, parent and community-wide. Um, and there are, but there are ways to do this. There are ways to approach it. And it starts first by building some level of understanding and capacity on the part of the adults. So that whether, you know, whether you're an administrator or an educator, you need to have an understanding, a knowledge of what, do, what was that definition of social emotional learning? What are the competencies we're trying to um, help our students develop? And where do, what does that mean to me? What does that, what's my social emotional competency and how does that impact what I do in the classroom? And start by looking at that, by doing a needs assessment with the students to find out what are their needs? What are they thinking? What do, what do we have to do differently to help them develop some of these skills? So it, it starts there. And schools and districts can do this through, you know, through developing a group of people who are going to do some research around this and start doing some professional learning with the adults and eventually look for ways to build this in. We are we're so fortunate to have Castle, I have to tell you. 
they have on their website a whole uh, 10 point rollout of how to bring social emotional learning to your school or district and they take it step by step and analyze each step for you so it's all it's all laid out and it, you know that kind of piece at least the research around it is free doing the work take is you know it has a high cost in in time and energy but what we're looking to do is really transform classrooms to being just you know places where kids learn how to read and learn how to write and do math, but where they learn how to read, write, and do math while also learning how to interact together, collaborate together, get along together, and understand themselves and their own learning better. And it is really something that has to be infused into every every hour, every minute of, of the day because it is, it is not like you, as a teacher, you would just take a break and say, okay, now we're gonna learn our SEL uh, standards or, or our work in SEL. It's, it really, it's something that has to be infused in there, much like uh, any good teaching practice, correct? Right, right. And you know, some, some schools, some programs do have that sort of explicit SEL time where we do some explicit skills instruction or explicit activities but the school that's going to really have the most success for their students are the ones where it doesn't become one more thing, it, it's, it becomes the thing. You know, we always say, oh, I have so much on my plate, There's all, I can't put one more thing on my plate, don't ask me to do SEL too. Okay, SEL is your plate <laughs> and everything else lives there with that, with, with an underpinning, that, that holder that is SEL. So imagine that um, there's there are teachers out there that are listening that um, you know have not their their school or their within their classroom they're not doing nearly enough within this, um, and you've touched on this with the castle uh, resources and things. But if if a if a school or a district or even an individual teacher wanted to get started uh, with SEL and learn more about it, uh, what would you say are those first few steps or those first few directions that you might give to them to, to really start to think about this and get started with this and, and really start to down that journey? Mm -hmm. I think that uh, teachers need, first of all, to think about their own classroom and their own environment and how do they set that up in a positive way where children have a sense of community, where they feel that this is, this is my family away from my family, this group of kids that I come to school with every day, and it doesn't matter how old you are, you still need that sense of community, that sense of belonging. And then teachers, so the teachers need to really think about that. How do they actively develop that community? It, just because you're in Ms. Tavija's class doesn't mean Ms. Tavija's community is set. Let's work on how we make this, that community. And teachers then need to think about, well, how am I, how am I taking a look at the competencies, looking at that castle definition and looking at the five competencies of self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, uh, responsible decision-making and relationship skills, how do we put all that together in the classroom? It, it doesn't cost anything for it other than time, and time is, I know time is valuable, but to look at your lesson with an SEL lens, to look at what am I trying to get the students to learn in this lesson, how are they going to engage in the learning, and how do I build these SEL competencies right into that lesson to help them, to help it live. So I, I don't have time to do a, an explicit SEL lesson, but I do have time to teach reading, 
and in reading or science or social studies, there's lots of opportunities to look for the social emotional piece that's part of that. Where is it that my kids are going to struggle? We're going to do this science experiment. And I know that my kids are going to figure out in this science experiment, we're going to learn the scientific process by examining which is the strongest paper towel. And I've got that scientific process out and the kids know that's my goal. That's what we're going to learn today. But we're doing this with lab partners. Where are my kids likely to struggle with their lab partner? Is it going to be sharing materials? Well, let's talk about that. What does it look like to share materials? How can I be aware of my partner? And that we both have to have an equal time here. So this, I'm learning the scientific process. I'm also learning a little bit about social awareness there. And I'm building it all into that one lesson, same amount of time, but lots of learning. So you talked about one of the biggest barriers uh, for, for individual teachers being time um, for, to try and implement this. What would you say are some of the other barriers that you've seen when you've worked with schools or districts or individual teachers? And what advice might you give uh, folks to be able to overcome those barriers? I think, I think sometimes we hear teachers say, but that's not my job. I, 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 I teach math. I, what am I supposed to do with kids who can't get along? Well, but I think we all have to see it is your job. I know people think, well, the parents are supposed to be teaching them that. And that's not to say that they aren't. But the parents are doing this at home with one or two children. And you have 30 of them in front of you who all need to figure out how to get along together. They're going to learn that with the other 29 kids present, not just at home and assume that it's going to happen this way. And we know today's society, I mean, when we think back of what it was like when I was in school or maybe Brett, when you were in school, it was a different kind of learning. The, what we had available to us was so very different. The kinds of judgments that students have to make with technology now, there's, there's so much that's different about it. We also know, I mean, we don't, we don't think that best practice is for a child to sit alone at their desk and solve worksheet after worksheet. That's not best practice for reading or for math. And that kind of learning isn't best practice for social-emotional learning either. Best practice for social-emotional learning is collaboration and learning how to collaborate. We know that a lot of, you know, a lot of the businesses have come forth with a study. There was a SCANS study about 21st century learning. And that was all about what people want from the, the kids who are leaving high school and entering into the workplace. And what they wanted had nothing to do with the skills of the job. And it had everything to do with their interpersonal skills, their ability to work with others, and to persist when there was a problem that was challenging for them, or all the other kinds of things. And so we know this has a point. We just have to make sure that we address it. Excellent. Thank you. 
We've talked a little bit or a lot about really um, individual teachers, but if, if you are a principal or a superintendent or an administrator and, and you're looking to be able to infuse this uh, into your district or into your school, um, what, what advice might you give to those folks? Um, because I think, as you said in your previous example, that there might be some teachers who might say, well, this is, this is not my job. I teach math, and, and, that, and that's my job. Um, but to give them some uh, ideas about maybe some of the best ways to do that, whether that is uh, a book study or a way of approaching this so that it doesn't feel like it's being put upon, uh, the teachers, but it's more of a collaborative effort. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that, um, speaking as a former principal, a lot of it has to do with making way for professional learning around this. And I think a book study is a wonderful thing. There are many books, and depending on what level you're teaching and, and where you are entering this, there are lots and lots of good books that can be used for a book study. But just having conversations. We have so little time at our staff meetings anymore to really have a discussion. But what could be more powerful than learning about how children learn and learning how they learn how to be and how to be with each other? So often we, we waste so much of our time with, you know, discipline and uh, children who don't walk down the hall quietly. Well, did we ever ask them what they need? Would we ever talk with them about why we would like them to be quiet in the hall and let them determine that? So having some of those conversations, but really opening it up for, for, for teachers to find, to say, this is, you know, these are my hopes and dreams for my students. How can we achieve them? Well, let's figure out ways to help achieve them. Because I guarantee you, if you ask a teacher or a parent what their hopes and dreams for their child are, it's probably not going to relate to, you know, multiplication facts. It's probably going to relate to how we want them to be as people. And so let's have that conversation. So back to the administrators, setting time aside for that discussion. For those who are at, at the district level, making it a priority. It has to be something that's part of whatever you have, whatever strategic plan you have. I sure hope that you have built something in there around looking to how we want these children to go out into the world and what kinds of people we want them to be. So that starts from you know the board, the superintendent level, setting that priority and then working with everyone across all the areas of the curriculum and all the leadership areas to making sure that we have built in time to develop that. So hearing about that sort of organic process that you talked about, um, I think I might know the answer to this, but I'd like to hear your opinion. Uh, do you feel like you need to have a program uh, in order to implement SEL? That is a great question, Brett, because all the research that's been done has been done on evidence-based programming. So do you need to have a program? I think it's a guide. You know, I'd love to say, yeah, you can do this yourself, but it's, it's that amorphous thing that is going to slip away because you're too busy with reading math, science, and recess um, to, to really do it if you don't have a little bit of a guide. So I would say I would encourage people to look at social-emotional learning programming. There's plenty of it out there. There's lots of ways you can embed it yourself and do it yourself. But 
there's lots of ways to teach reading too, and we believe that it should be an evidence-based approach that we're taking. So I, I, would, I would say that. So that framework is really important, and then to be able to take that framework and, and utilize that within your individual school or individual district, knowing all of the different um, nuances uh, for each of those schools. Right, and, and it isn't that a, that a program is going to solve all the answers. You know, because just because I go to Weight Watchers doesn't mean I'm going to lose the weight. I mean, I can follow their program, but, you know, I, I may be not following it to the letter. I can do SEL, I can have an SEL program, and we can do those lessons. But if the rest of the environment isn't really supporting that, if the teachers aren't modeling the way they want their kids to be and interact, if the principal isn't modeling that, the chances of it happening are are not great. So it, you know, you have to start with a program. It's a start, as you said, it's a framework, but then you have to look for ways to infuse it and it infuse it and becomes a way of being. Excellent. We talked about this a little bit, but I think it's it's an important piece. What are some good resources that uh, people might use to learn more about SEL? You mentioned uh, the CASEL website as a very strong uh, uh, data point uh, for people to, to visit, but uh, can, you, can you remind everyone about some of those uh, great resources that they sure. can look toward? Sure. Um, another great, easily accessible resource is Edutopia. It's the George Lucas Foundation, and they have lots and lots of resources around project-based learning and social-emotional learning, two nice intertwined pieces. But they have plenty of resources there, lots of blogs, lots of video, lots of ways to quickly learn and to use tools to use for professional development. Um, there's the Great Center for, no, it's the Center for Great Teachers and Leaders, which is um, an offshoot of the American Institute of Research. And their website, gtl.org, has wonderful professional learning tools that are readily available for uh, schools to use and to analyze what they are doing and what they might like to do with professional learning. The um, the Social Emotional Academic Development Group out of the Aspen Institute, another wonderful research uh, piece and that's coming out with new case studies um, and white papers that I think people might find to be of great interest. There are lots of wonderful programs available. You can learn about those programs at the CASEL website where they have the CASEL guide. Um, Stephanie Jones and her colleagues at the Harvard Graduate School of Education have just come up with a, a new uh, document called Navigating SEL from the Inside Out, which would help people also take a look at kinds of elementary kinds of programming that is available. So lots of resources. Um, boy, if you, if you just look at uh, SEL on the internet, you can find tons of things. There's a lot going on right now, lots of good research. Excellent. Let me ask you this last question, uh, which is really to ask you, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that maybe you wanted to mention that maybe we didn't touch upon uh, during, our, during our talk that you think is important enough that we want to make sure that uh, the audience hears? Um, perhaps people would like 
to know when we're talking about social emotional learning what these five competencies are i didn't call them out per se we've talked about them in in passing but you know those five competencies of self-awareness self-management social awareness relationship skills and responsible decision making i think those are important to call out once more because it does help you get a better understanding of what it is we mean when we talk about sel and we haven't talked about standards because you know standards are a big piece of the way we learn today and illinois the state which had the first sel standards in the nation we have those and they're based on those five competencies i've mentioned but a few other states have started developing them a well place places like uh, the state of washington idaho connecticut massachusetts uh, all have standards and i think that's important because so much of what we do we relate back to standards. And if we're not looking at standards, it's assessment. And we didn't touch on SEL assessment today, and we're not going to, but let's just let me say this. It is, it is the hot topic among SEL researchers today. How do we assess social emotional learning? The commission at the Aspen Institute is looking into that as are several other researchers. Much has been tried. We're still a work in progress in that regard, but I'm, I'm hoping that soon we'll have, um, you know, some way of knowing how our students are doing beyond the, the tools that we've been using that everybody has, has used, things like rating scales and observation and teacher rating scales, but we're looking for that one definitive answer, so hoping to have that at some point. Well, thank you so much for your insights today. I think it's been extremely valuable for uh, the audience to be able to hear um, all of this information about SEL. And if they're interested in starting a program, I think this is a real uh, kickoff for them with a lot of good information and a lot of good resources that they can utilize. So thanks for your time today. I hope so. Thanks, Brett. That was Mary Tavigia discussing key strategies for classroom teachers around social-emotional learning. Any school or district interested in learning more about social-emotional learning and CEC's approach to assisting teachers in this area, visit the CEC website at cecweb.org or the TURN website at turnweb.org.